Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to the Great America Show. Great to have you with us. A lot of developments underway right now. The stock market is on a rampage, a bear rampage, and few stocks are escaping the punishment. China this week launched a new aircraft carrier. All the headlines, Ballyhooed, I swear to you, that's a real word, Ballyhooed, the claim that communist China is catching up to the United States as a world power. Now, they only have three, three aircraft carriers, and this one will be another five years before it's ready to be operational. So the headline writers ought to calm down a little bit. And China's rhetoric when they dressed down the Biden administration over Taiwan was bellicose and smacked of a real lust for war. But China has a head start on that war if it ever wants to declare it. And we can thank Wall Street for the reminder. It's an important one. We're coming off the worst week on Wall Street since the China virus pandemic. The S&P 500 this week reached lows not seen since the early days of the China virus pandemic in March of 2020. I know most everyone likes to call the China virus pandemic that has killed more than 1,100,000 Americans just the pandemic. But I think the fact that China is responsible for those deaths, really the murders, of more than a million of us, we might ought to be very clear and specific about China's guilt in the deaths of those fellow Americans. I think it is at best indecent of us to allow ourselves to be desensitized to their loss and China's guilt. You can even be global about it if you wish. We're told there are upward of anywhere from 7 to 10 million people killed in the China virus pandemic worldwide. The numbers, we're also told, can be something like three times that many, three times the official estimates. But those deaths, all those deaths that Xi Jinping could have prevented, with a simple, straightforward warning to the world. A warning that never came. So that's why I say China has a head start on the so far undeclared war, because we already have more than a million casualties, a death toll in excess of a million American lives lost, a number greater than all the Americans killed in World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, greater than all the Americans killed in all the wars over the past 122 years. Both China and Russia are threatening now the United States, and our socialist European nations that we call allies are hardly helping Ukraine at all in its war to expel the Russian invaders and occupiers. China, as I said, is threatening us directly over Taiwan. Russia saying straight out, the Ukraine war will likely lead to nuclear war. The Marxist Dems who are driving the Biden White House and this puppet president are flailing now as they look for some way, any way, to turn public attention from the epic disaster that Joe Biden has delivered to America in less than a year and a half as president. His puppet masters are testing whether war, even all-out war, 
would be enough to divert public attention from raging inflation, wide open borders, massive national debt that is rising at unheard of rates, markets that are cratering. Those markets are now bear markets. The financial pain for tens of millions of Americans will only worsen until Biden and the Marxist Dems are voted out of Washington. Nothing less will change the Marxist Dems' driven trajectory toward doom for this great republic. That is their plan. It is their intent. Our guest today is Doug McGregor, retired Army colonel, former Defense Department official, decorated officer in both the Gulf War and Kosovo. Welcome back, Colonel. I'd like to start with your impression of Xi Jinping and his aims. Well, I think Xi is, a, by nature, a very cautious man. Uh, Xi will stand by Russia uh, until this war ends and ultimately will legitimate whatever settlement Russia agrees to. There's no doubt about that. But I think Xi wants to appear as a, a person in a position of power that can still influence events, that there's no foregone conclusion that without China, uh, Russia's position is not secure. I think he wants to reinforce that, not just with Moscow, but he wants to send that message to the rest of the world. And in sending that message, it must be somewhat frustrating to to President Putin uh, that he is not getting that wholehearted support one might expect, perhaps he expected, from the Chinese when they entered into their strategic partnership. It looks like that strategic partnership does have limits, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and in fact, uh, we should be grateful that it is limited to some extent by, by interest. But both sides, I think from the very beginning, Moscow and Beijing, have always recognized that neither actor can move beyond the limits of its own national interests. Uh, Russia is under no obligation to commit suicide in the international arena for Beijing. And obviously, China is under no obligation to Moscow to commit suicide either. So th this, is, this is actually healthy. I would not reach the conclusion that this uh, reveals some serious fault line between the two, because frankly, that's just not there right now. No, there, there's certainly no rupture, but there is also... You know, as we said, uh, some constraint, uh, and that's it's not only healthy, but very fortunate uh, that she uh, is behaving as he is, because frankly, Putin has been wanton in ways that I never dreamed that he would be. Uh, in he has devastated, destroyed uh, much of Ukraine in the pursuit of what? I'm not entirely certain. He well, says he's actually, taking back actually, lands. He says he's taking back lands that once belonged to Russia, and some part of that is true. But the reality is, this has been a devastating uh, blow to his own country. Uh, this invasion of Ukraine. I don't think the Russians see it that way. His uh, approval rating is in the mid 80s. It's higher than it's ever been. Uh, I don't think Putin uh, would share your interpretation at all. Yeah, we're good. I, think, I, don't, I, want, I don't want he, I don't want Putin and, and, and myself to be agreeing on that. <laughs> well, I mean, Putin went in there with one set of goals uh, that uh, were not attainable. He went in there with the idea of persuading the Ukrainians to negotiate, to adopt uh, neutrality for Ukraine. He wanted them to essentially recognize the autonomy of the Russian republics uh, the, in the uh, Donbass 
He also wanted them to recognize Russia's legitimate control of Crimea. And uh, frankly, the Ukrainians, before the end of March, were ready to do most of that. In fact, there was a statement made public uh, by Zelensky that, yes, we could accept neutrality. We intervened along with uh, Boris Johnson in London and said, absolutely not. You will not negotiate an end to this at all. And then we promised them literally limitless support. And the Ukrainians backed off from the negotiations. The consequences of that for Ukraine are devastating, not not for Russia, but for Ukraine. And I think for NATO. And we're we're only beginning to sense just how serious those consequences are. Well, let's be let's be candid. We've got we have got one hundred and two thousand of our troops uh, on the eastern flank. Uh, we are propping up all of Europe. Uh, we are supporting their economy through their mercant through their mercantilist trade policies. We are supporting uh, Europe through trade. Uh, our troops are there to give them spine and to uh, relieve the anxieties of their leaders. Uh, they are doing almost nothing, and it's about time people saw it just for what it is. Uh, there, we're talking about one of their neighbors. Uh, and yes, they don't have a perfect relationship, but it is a neighbor, and their own their own security is at stake here, uh, given the expansionary policies of Putin, and they behave like uh, you know they're Boy Scouts and, uh, and 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 gazing upon Candy Rock Mountains. Well, uh, gosh, uh, I don't know what to say, Lou, except you're certainly a hundred percent right. But keep something in mind: it was very obvious to President Trump when he was in office that the only way, for instance, Germany, which frankly is the once and future king of Europe, you take Germany out of NATO, take Germany out of the EU, you can write them off. They're irrelevant. And the only way to get the Germans to not simply invest in defense, but to field viable armed forces and play a real role in the defense of NATO meant that we would have to leave. We'd have to pull our forces out because until we pull the forces out, not only the Germans, but the rest of them are very unlikely to do anything. Right. And, 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 it's, and as you say, President Trump recognized that. He wanted to pull those troops out in the worst way, but could not because of the seismic uh, economic uh, potential shift if he did, uh, economically, I mean. And, and I think that stalled him at a time when he should have, uh, in my opinion, pressed right ahead and changed, uh, changed all of the calculus for the United States in the uh, distribution of our troops around the world. Well, I think that's right. But unfortunately, uh, it, like so many other things, the American Senate, the U.S. Senate, whether it was Democrats or, or Republicans, or as you would say, rhinos, didn't matter. They were universally opposed to any change in that status quo. He didn't have support from his own cabinet members in many cases because he hadn't thoroughly vetted them. And then, you know, it's a matter of how much can you do when you're elected to the presidency? Most people suggest that the first six to eight to nine months, you can do many things, but you have to choose carefully and you have to focus like a laser on those things. Number one should have been the border, obviously, and restoring the rule of law. And the second piece should have been what you're referring to, reorganizing the, uh, the overseas presence to, to reflect our true interests and also to compel uh, the dependent states in Europe to defend themselves. You know, we can't be everybody's first responder. And uh, clearly we're not. Yeah. 
and, and that is that is, uh, if you will, the, a sea change. We're looking at a Chinese navy that's larger than our own. You can argue about, you know, displacement and tonnage, uh, and 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 go on about it. But the fact is, they're going to have a hundred more ships than than we do in the next five to six years, uh, and they're going to have a deep blue uh, navy without any question. And meanwhile, the United States is going the other direction. We can't build a ship. Uh, Look at the Gerald Ford uh, class of aircraft carriers. My gosh, it took 15 years to get the Gerald Ford seaworthy. Well, that's true. The The Navy is obviously even in worse condition than the Army, which is saying a great deal right now. But uh, I think we have to keep a couple of things in mind that, once again, there is a natural deterrent to Chinese expansion and intervention, uh, adventurism. If, if we are, are ever going to see it. And that deterrent is called Japan. Right. And when uh, President Trump was in Japan, he made the statement straight, straight from, uh, you know, straight up without any thrills or frills or anything else and said, look, Japan is a wonderful country. It is a brilliant success. It is fabulously wealthy. And then he said, I don't know why we have any forces here. The Japanese can certainly defend themselves. They're eminently capable of it. Lou, I've seen uh, many of these naval forces as you're talking about Northeast Asia. And uh, I would tell you that the Japanese, if they decide to put to sea, the, the Chinese have had it. Uh, they may have numbers, but in terms of quality and capability, the Japanese Navy is superior. But once again, if we expect the Japanese to, to get on board and pull their oar, if you will, we're going to have to get out of there. And we should, in yes. my opinion, without any question. And yeah. by the way, if, if, if memory serves correctly, I believe that, we, uh, that Japan was the first recipient of the advanced Aegis uh, uh, class of weaponry that we uh, put, uh, put on our uh, Navy's uh, ships. Uh, I think we gave it to Japan right after that gave it as a, a, a another euphemism we sold it to them but we equipped them with it well it was a technology transfer is what you're yep. saying and you're correct and, and that's one of the things that uh, we have done in the past that for enough money we have been willing to transfer technology the japanese have the technology they have uh, not only the aegis radars but others that they developed and they have a fine class of uh, defensive missiles that they can field uh, the bottom line though is once again if if we are protecting them at great expense to the American people, why should they invest their scarce resources in uh, military activity? They'd much rather put it into their economy and, and improve themselves. Yeah, and, and it looks to me like when you see an analog to both the, uh, in the Pacific and uh, across the Atlantic, whether it be Europe or whether it be Japan, uh, it seems to me that basic logic would compel foreign policy of the United States to insist on bringing those troops home and standing up armies and navies uh, that will be allies in any confrontation that would occur uh, with the United between the United States and Russia or China or Iran, whomever it might be. Yeah, well, you know, we forget that uh, in World War II, one of the advantages we had, with, with one exception, was that for the most part, we were far enough back that when the fighting broke out, we suffered the least. Yep. And it was people that turned to us for help and assistance. If anybody thinks 
that uh, Asian countries will simply sit there and allow themselves to be uh, dominated, overrun, use whatever word you want by China uh, without turning to the United States for assistance is crazy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to take the first punch in the face. In other words, we can well afford to stand back and uh, look carefully at what's in our interest and what isn't. And I think it's time for us to, to look at what are our interests. And the number one interest, as Eisenhower pointed out, is prosperity. And he used to say repeatedly, Americans deserve prosperity and security. They can have both, but there has to be a balance. And uh, our investment in defense to defend everyone everywhere all the time is grossly out of balance. And, you know, nothing's is to me worth validating of, of that uh, statement than the fact that 40 Republican senators signed on to a, a recommendation to President Biden that there be a no-fly zone over Ukraine, irrespective of the red line that has been clearly uh, enunciated by Vladimir Putin over the dec- over the last 20 years. I, I, we have a you, – you talked about the Senate. This Senate is comprised of some of the greatest blowhard, blathering mediocrities that I have ever seen in the Senate, and there have been, over the course of my career, quite a few. But this one takes a cake. Well, remember that the senators can stand up and bloviate and say whatever they like, however, however ridiculous or unrealistic it may be, and there are no consequences for them. In fact, you know, a friend of mine uh, named Wynn Wheeler, he likes to say that that's the problem we have with President Biden. He said President Biden has never graduated out of the Senate. He continues to bloviate the way he did as a senator. Well, when he bloviated in the Senate, nobody cared. It was just irrelevant nonsense, hot air. But you make the man president, and he puts us at high risk. I mean, you're not only talking about the no-fly zone. Remember the stupid comment about regime change in Moscow? Mm -hmm. And then he decided that uh, we should be prepared to go to war with China over a potential conflict between China and Taiwan. I mean, these kinds of things are extremely dangerous. And I can't imagine any president since, really since the end of the Second World War, who in the event of, a, of the kind of uh, crisis in Ukraine that we have witnessed would not have intervened early and said, look, let's stop. We need negotiations and tried very hard to find a way out of this. Everyone would have done that. I think whether it was Nixon or Johnson or Kennedy or Carter, anyone, they would have all done that. And what we've seen instead from uh, Mr. Biden is this uh, incredible uh, exhortation to go to war with Russia. And and the people of Ukraine have paid the the price for it. They're the ones who've been dying in great numbers. We think there are at least 60,000 dead Ukrainian troops. The Russians have lost between 8 and 10,000. Nobody's told the truth about this. And eastern Ukraine has been destroyed because we kept insisting that they fight when there was absolutely no chance of winning. So this kind of thing is outrageous. It's inexcusable. But what we don't need is for Biden to do that next to us. And that's that's a fear that is not unfounded, that he will pull us into something where we have no interest in going to war, where our principal interest is in restoring prosperity and the rule of law here at home. You know, I think as a countervailing influence to to that outlook, uh, I think we are at a different place than we were 17, almost 18 months ago now uh, when he took office. But uh, 
because people understand. The American people understand the man is an idiot. He's not only impaired. He's not only uh, uh, seriously, cognitively uh, in deep, deep dissonance and trouble. He is uh, a man who is lying, and, and everyone knows he's lying, telling the American people that inflation is under control and they're ready to fight it like they're going off to war. Uh, against, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, mouse in uh, faraway land. It's ridiculous. The man has no no understanding, no comprehension. He's incomprehensible as well. I think the American people would walk out into the streets to and march on Washington to stop it if this fool were to do that. His puppet masters, I think, Doug, even understand now that their little cabal is done. This it didn't work, and they're in real trouble, and there's no way back. Uh, you've got President Xi now telling us to stay the hell out of the Strait of Taiwan uh, in private meetings, of course. But the fact of the matter is that we're the only ones taking Biden seriously. Our corporatist media, the two parties, Democrat and Republican, the rest of the world knows what he is and what the United States has become. Well, I, I think that's accurate. And I don't think we have any credibility anywhere in the world at the moment, and for good reason, frankly. But we should not forget that Biden has a lot of company in that Senate and even in the House. I mean, how do we how do we ship sixty billion dollars uh, in equipment uh, overseas, pouring a lot of that money into the gutter, obviously in Ukraine, but also a lot of it going into the pockets of big donors and friends in the defense industry? Uh, how, do, how do we do that in the midst of this obvious financial disaster we have on our hands? I mean, it, it, that's what's hard for me to fathom. It's one thing, you know, I agree with everything you've said about Biden, but who is standing up against the stupidity in our government? And frankly, Biden hasn't had much pushback. Well, yeah, he hasn't had much pushback, and that is frustrating as it can to all of us because. You know, these uh, these lions of the Senate, Doug, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, Tom <laughs> Tillis, uh, you know, Mitt Romney, uh, Portman, uh, the list goes on. Feckless, fatuous and absolutely uh, mediocrities to be holding such important roles uh, in our government. Well, people voted them in. And yep. uh, that's part of our problem. And the other problem is that the attention span of the American people is pretty short. So even though Ukraine is now effectively lost and that country is destroyed and probably won't even exist in its current form anytime soon, if ever again, most Americans don't care. But they do care about what happens here. And they're frustrated and angry. But I don't think they've connected all the dots yet. Because a lot of people in the Senate and the House would not have jobs if they did. I, I, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I sometimes find myself ranting about the Senate and particularly, uh, the, frankly, the Republicans, the Democrats. We know what they are. They're they're Marxists and and they're <laughs> playing at uh, uh, civil, uh, you know, de democratic rule. Uh, it's a joke for them uh, until they get their way. Exactly. But the, but the Republicans, these rhinos, and they watching 
watching McDonald <clears throat> stand up and say, he's, you know, he's perfectly fine with giving away our Second Amendment rights, but oh no, he didn't want to go ahead with that uh, disinformation governance board that would be a truth ministry. That was just one step too far for him. Mm-hmm. They don't even make sense anymore. Let me ask you to do this. Uh, you talked about connecting the dots. Give us Doug McGregor's view, first of what will be the outcome in Ukraine. Secondly, where will this country, I won't ask you to, to forecast the outcome in, in terms of the challenges we face right now, but your thoughts about the implications of it all for our national security uh, and our future. Well, if you'd have told me you were going to ask me this before we uh, started discussing the topic, I'd have given a call to Nostradamus for some help and assistance. Ukraine is finished. It's crumbling. Uh, something will be left of it, but most of the eastern portion will be ceded to Russia. And frankly, at this point, uh, we should shut up and color when it comes to that because we have more important fish to fry. If we continue to press the issue, we'll watch NATO tear itself apart because, frankly, the Europeans do not want to be embroiled in a long-term conflict with Russia over Ukraine. And the second thing is that our economy is is really in serious trouble. Uh, I've watched for years. I watched you. You were always uh, sounding the alarm about the the consequences of essentially the Fed's uh, easing, quantitative easing, over and over and over again. We've spent ourselves into oblivion. We continue to do so. And I think that the financial system that we dominate, the large institutions like the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund that we also uh, dominate, these things are, are going to fall apart because I think we're going to lose our dominance. I think we're going to see other powers emerge in alliance against us, not necessarily for military purposes, but to protect their interests financially. So I think we're headed into not just a bad recession. I think we're going to face something closer to a depression. And then the last thing is, uh, you know, as far as Russia goes, I, I noted you wanted to talk a little bit about Putin and his health. And none of us really knows the score uh, on that on that topic. Right. But let's assume that it's right, that in two or three years, uh, cancer will get him. What I would be concerned about is not Putin. Uh, Putin is someone who spent a lot of time in the West. He understands the West. He's not anti-European. He's not anti-Western. The problem is that he's a lone ranger in Russia. And the vast majority of people in that country, along with their leaders, think that he's being far too nice to us and far too willing to cooperate with us. And so I really worry about whoever comes after Putin. I think he'll be far more dangerous. So that's that's the future I see. Now, what happens at home? Obviously, Biden is going to go away. I think this government is going to implode, if not outright collapse, because we're running out of cash and we just can't behave as we did in the future. Who has the, the moral authority to stand up and take over? Who has the common sense and the guts to cut spending? Who has the sense to bring home our forces and make deep cuts in defense that we can afford because our forces are essentially the World War II structure on steroids, and we need different structures for the future. Who's going to stand up and and do those things? Who's going to stop uh, the influx of criminality and drugs and illegals into our country? Who's going to restore the rule of law inside the country and throw the illegals and the criminals out? Uh, Who's going to put the forces on the border to defend us? Because right now, those 100,000 troops that we've got in Europe, we don't need them there. We need most of those forces right here in the United States. 
So how's this all going to happen? Who's going to do it? I haven't seen anyone on the scene willing to stand up and face any of that. Well, I, I look as hard as you do for that person or those people, and I don't see them either unless I look toward Mar-a-Lago, and there is Donald Trump. Yes. Uh, but, you know. He's the Lone Ranger right now. He truly is. And he was the Lone Ranger from the moment he uh, went down that escalator and uh, declared he was going to be running for president. All that he's overcome, all that he has had to overcome through this uh, relentless political persecution by the Marxist left. I mean, it's six years. We're entering the seventh year of it. And the national corporatist media are all part of it. Uh, it is a it is a global conspiracy against this man. There is no question about it. Uh, and and the American people just gaze upon it instead of uh, rightfully and righteously uh, being outraged at what this country has done to him and what we permitted, uh, and of course done to ourselves. It's it's. I think, I think uh, I remember watching you so often talk about uh, the exportation of our manufacturing base mm-hmm. and how we were buying enormous quantities of goods for China that were manufactured cheaply there and how we had millions of people looking for jobs that, that could have done that could have produced those items here in the United States. But now we're living, you know, essentially on the poverty line or close to it. All of that was ignored. Well, here we are. We're harvesting, you know, the the crop, if you will, that that we have planted, and it's disastrous. All of that has to be reversed. And I, you know, this business of well, we can't just bring home manufacture. We can't just repay. That is nonsense. That absolutely can be done. Absolutely. And we need to be as harsh and tough on the corporate sector as necessary in order to make sure that it happens. And for that, the American people have to decide that we, the people, will be the countervailing influence uh, and force against corporate power, uh, union power, the power of the Marxist uh, Democratic Party, uh, and indeed uh, insist that Republicans be Republicans, conservative, and uh, act in the national interest for a change. Doug McGregor, it's always great to have you with us. I, I, I really appreciate your time and your outlook and your perspective. Uh, we give you always the final word. Well, I think uh, Americans need to ponder these issues very carefully before the fall. And they need to scrutinize these elections that are coming up. And this is the big test. And the American people are going to expect uh, the government to pass it. If the government fails and the election integrity is not maintained and people doubt the the outcomes, then I think we're on a very different track. So I hope Americans will think about this and uh, vote accordingly and insist that their votes be counted. Colonel Doug McGregor, as always, great to have you with us here on the Great America Show. Thank you, Doug. Hey, thank you, Lou. God bless. Thanks, everybody, for being with us tomorrow here on The Great America Show. Our guest will be Gordon Chang on the rising number of geopolitical flashpoints around the world and the threats against the United States that Joe Biden just doesn't seem to comprehend. That's tomorrow, right here. Till then, God bless you, and God bless America.